Welcome to Restoration Basics. This is the preparatory podcast where today we're going to talk about the vegetables of the spirit. Uh, my name is Samuel Jordison. We have uh, our second part of the episode, part two of the episode coming up. So we have three other hosts today. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves? Jason Kane. And I'm Josh Pedersen. And I'm also Josh Pedersen. Damn, I messed it up. (laughs) Oh, man. We're going to have to (laughs) re-record. Okay, just fix it right now. I'm Andrew. The magic of editing is Jason can cut all of that out. Also, any of our ums, my ums, I mean. Yeah. Dibs. Nice. Um, Josh is better than us with all the ums and stuff. He is. Your practice. You're like Brian Heron. I actually, we have a thing at work where they pay for me to be a part of a speech club. And they count how many ums you use in a sentence. And nice. they have this little penny that they'll drop in a can every time you use a filler word when you're giving a speech. And you just hear it right next to you. So they they just scare it right out of you. Yeah, since we're client-facing, it's apparently a, a, a worthwhile endeavor for them to have competent I don't, <laughs> I don't see that. No, I don't see yeah. that. Do you notice it now when other people say um? Actually, not really. I don't. Unless it's specifically my job, too. I don't. But I notice my own a lot more and I feel more guilty about them now. Now, if someone's really bad, I notice that and I definitely silently judge them. I understand where it's coming from, but I'm like, come on, pull yourself together. You're spiraling. This is the worst thing you're you can do. Well, when I get nervous and I'm preaching like the ums, uh, you get nervous and the ums come back and then they get more frequent, the more nervous you get. Cause you're noticing the ums yeah, you're or the, the ums uh, and uh, yeah. I don't know. Well, back on topic. Thank you for tuning in to uh, the podcast. And we're going to continue our conversation that we had, hopefully with not too many ums. We are in Second Nephi today, and we are covering chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11. We actually have a spreadsheet, and we title kind of like the topic. And this one was just called Isaiah Overload because it's like three straight chapters of Nephi quoting Isaiah. So just to set the stage here again, we're happy to have we're happy to have Josh here back. Um, we might tie some things up with uh, what we talked about last episode in grace and and that working in our lives. We're gonna talk. I'm gonna try and you know briefly hit on each chapter, but focus on. I think there's a great message of just Jesus at the very end. So he's always someone good to focus on. <laughs> um, setting the the story stage here, Nephi is picking up the pen again. And, uh, you know, he took it from his brother, Jacob, who was preaching to the people. And Nephi says, I'm, I'm going to start writing the things that Isaiah wrote because they're precious to me. And then he fills three straight chapters with those. And I'm going to hand it off to brother Andrew here because Andrew, you really enjoyed this chapter and just feel free to take it away. Yeah. When we were going through like what each person had for this, I, I said, I, I really liked this chapter and everybody else looked at me like, why not really but uh it it just it is i mean it's it's just almost verbatim isaiah and so it's all stuff that we've heard before but i i really enjoyed how it connected with all of how the gospel has been playing out in the recent story and uh a really big thing that i appreciate is consistency and i i feel like that's a big point here and so anyway starting in in verse seven He's quoting and he says, Behold, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people the truth of, of the coming of Christ. For for this end, for for this end, uh, hath the law of Moses ha- been given. Sorry, I just jumbled that whole sentence up. But pretty much just saying Christ came and he came to abolish this law of Moses and he came to take it away. But it it has a different Meaning as well, and and when we, he's telling his people when we, when you think about the law of Moses right now, uh, or any time from now on, I want you to think that it's pointing you to Christ, and I I just love the consistency because you know like we talked about last time, Joshua sharing his testimony about you know he's been given this grace, he's been given this forgiveness. Now what is he going to do with it? You know, and it's just so much of the same concepts is that. We have been given this grace or we have been given this law. What are we going to do with it? What are we going to look to? Who are we going to look to? And 
and he just gives it perfectly. We should be looking to Christ. Moving on to verse nine, it says, in all things which have been given of God from the beginning of the world and uh, sorry, from the beginning of the world unto man are the typifying of him. They are all pointing to Christ. And also my soul delighteth in the covenants of the Lord, which he hath made unto our fathers, because even those are pointing to Christ. I mean, you look at promises he made to e, uh, to Adam, sorry, and Abraham and all of these major figures in the Old Testament, and they are all pointing to the sacrifice that Jesus would come and make thousands of years later. Can I can I jump in here yeah. real quick? Because in verse nine it says typifying, and I read that and I was like, I don't think I've ever seen that word anywhere else in my life. So I looked it up, and it. I mean, you can kind of get the context of what it means, but I thought it was interesting. Um, it says you would think be an example, but it's actually be representative example or characteristic. So. It is an example of something, but it's an example of the person who has gave it or it, it's representing them in this example. There's a reason it, it's, it's not just like, oh, I can look to that. And that's a good example. It's the source of that is the best example. This is another analogy. Sorry, continue. Right. No. And, and that's a good way to move forward because uh, we might talk about later types and shadows. And that's kind of the same thing. This is these are all types of Christ. And he says in verse 10, the covenants are even types of him. Moving forward in 11, it says, my soul delights in his grace, which we talked about last episode, and his justice and power and his mercy in the great and eternal plan of deliverance from death. And if you are trying to describe the universe or the story of the world in a Star Wars type scroll, this is the you know, like at the beginning of the movie, this is what I imagine showing, you know, like when the it starts rolling because this is just so poetic and so, I don't know the word, so vast that it covers everything that we know. And uh, it, it really describes things better than we can ever understand it is that God has had this eternal plan, this plan that's been around longer than time has. And it's to deliver us from death, you know, and, and I just love that idea. Uh, my soul delighteth in proving unto my people that save Christ should come, all men must perish. He loves to prove to people that without Christ, we are nothing. And I really like that. And it sets a good stage to what we'll talk about a little bit later with pride. And it's something I think that we should all come to to realize is that without Christ, we are nothing. I mean, we... We're using a lot of the same examples, or I am, I guess, that we just used in the last episode because it's the same day we're recording. But um, in terms of that pit we talked about last time, we are nothing without that rope. I mean, there is no hope for us. We are stuck in that pit for or well for the rest of our time here. And without Christ, there's no hope for us. But because he is there, in verse 14, but there is a God and he is Christ and he cometh in the fullness of his own time. There's just so much hope that comes from that. And, and this is really why I love the chapter. And, you know, uh, all summed up in seven through 14 is that there is hope found in just the presence of Christ. And we can look at that over and over and over and it still won't resonate with us as much as it should which is why we should keep looking at it over and over and over. But um, this is just one of those overs that I think we should uh, consider when going forward. The next thing uh, that really stuck out to me, and this is uh, going to lead to a question I have for Josh, is in verse 19, um, and I'll read that, and it says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Now, in verse 20, um, both of these verses are talking about a time when Zion is. And um, we might get into exactly what that is 
but, um, or what Zion is, excuse me. But um, for a second, in verse 20, it says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Now, what does this, what does this look like? To you, to I guess I'll just open up to everybody. Well, we'll we'll start with Josh. What does this look like to you? What do you think of when you hear the phrase "beat their swords into plowshares"? In a literal sense, they're taking their weapons of war and converting them into a tool used for peacetime. Right off the bat, I try to think I have no idea what a plowshare is, so I'm trying to envision like someone beating a sword into I'm assuming some kind of a circular device to till the ground, but I don't know much about farming nor uh, ancient farming techniques, so I can't speak too closely to that. I don't think any of us do. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of what I'm imagining the application for us today would be, would be taking things that maybe we've used to hurt people in the past and uh, changing that from something that doesn't do any good for anybody but to hurt taking it from that and turning it into something that can be beneficial for others. For instance, wit or knowledge or really any gift that you've been given that you could wield in a way that makes other people feel less than or hurts them. You can take that. And when we're in Zionic conditions, we will no longer be using our gifts to hurt other people. We'll be using them in a way that only uplifts and benefits others. So for me, that's exactly what that would look like on a practical scale for us today is just using simple everyday things and turning them into something beneficial for the kingdom of Zion. That's interesting. And it reminds me of a sermon that was preached over the summer and he talked about stewardship. And this was the, the main point of his sermon is that a tool can be used for two things. And he used the example of a grape. It can be pressed and made into uh, communion wine or communion juice, whatever you want to call it, you know, whatever you have. Or it can be pressed and then fermented and made into wine and um, then used for bad activities or, or anything like that. But the the grape itself doesn't have this inherent good or bad value. And, and the same could be said about metal that is made with swords and plowshares so that that metal isn't good or bad it's what you make them into that that really makes it good or bad and so he's using the point that we use the scriptures a lot of time to beat people down and it's not something we are proud of especially when it's pointed out to us but a lot of times we don't use them in the best way we can and they should be solely to lift people up because we are in that pit as we've talked about. We do need that sense of hope. And so um, it's interesting that you say just said that in a way because uh, I hadn't thought of that before. Jason or Sam? Just to Josh's point and because I like the sound of my own voice. Um, <laughs> the, I get, yes, the plowshares are the, you know, something in peacetime and, and you touched on it already that but they actually add up like they're used for growing and nourishment and they're a tool for. So you're taking a tool of war and turning it into a tool of nourishment. And uh, I think that speaks to kind of God asks us to repent. Maybe not in this verse, but I, my, my thoughts take me this way that God has asked us to repent. And, you know, and we take that as, okay, we don't need to sin anymore, but we also have to, you know, it's not beating your swords into nothing. You're actually turning it into something edifying. And, and so that repentance actually turns from doing something bad to not doing anything at all to actually doing stuff he's asked us to do and being proactive about that. And so when I see, you know, the laws coming out of Zion and the Lord is telling people, you know, these are the Zionic ways that we live by, they're changing their actions into edifying other people, being proactive about it, acting on that. Yeah. And to your point of repentance, it's been said before, but when you repent of sins, like that sin was filling a hole in your life. And once you repent, that that hole is left there and you don't have anything there. And so you have to replace it with something or else that sin is just going to come right back in. And or another that. one. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And there's actually, to your guys' points, I know we've been saying that a lot, but <laughs> there's almost different levels of repentance necessary for people. You know, in this verse, they're able to take their swords and beat them into plowshares. But the anti-Nephi-Lehi's, they just buried them because they did not trust themselves to have something they could turn back into a weapon of war. They're like, we need to just get rid of it 
altogether. I can't be around it or I know I might make a bad decision. And you look at people primarily suffering with addictions of different varieties and everyone has a different level of addiction. I'm sure kind of like everything's on a spectrum in reality, but people who suffer really hard with alcoholism, when they cut off alcohol, they're like, okay, I can't be around it. I can't look at it. I can't smell it. Sometimes even like watching an ad for beers, like they just need to get up and walk out. Whereas other people like, yeah, I can be around people who are drinking. I just know I won't. And I think it's an interesting point that when we're in our repentance, we need to figure out where we are individually and not just use what worked for somebody else, but also come to realize, you know, if we can't handle certain scenarios, we need to just remove them completely from our lives to keep from reverting back to that sin that we needed to repent of in the first place. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And now I don't mean to take us even more on a tangent, but I guess that's what the podcast is kind of for, just to see where the scriptures lead us to. But, you know, you can take stories, like you can take the anti-Nephi-Lehi's and say, okay, this is the only way to ever deal with this problem. You know, like you had people who had weapons, uh, and I'm not going to even get into the like gun debate or anything like that. <laughs> I'm just saying you had a people that had weapons of war, they buried them. And you could take that one example and be like, that's what we need to do every time. Or you could, you know, someone else is going to flip through the scriptures, come to the story of Captain Moroni, who actually made helmets and shields. And, and while he didn't delight in the bloodshed or anything, he was like, no, we're protecting our people. We're going to do what we can. And that person is going to be like, no, this is, you know, this is a righteous thing. When both of them are, both of them are actively chasing after the Lord. And, and you hate to say, well, what should I do in this situation? Cause we, as humans, we want easy answers to everything. And no, it's, it's almost like it's contingent upon something and you can't put God in a box and you can't put him like what he wants for you in, in, in a box either. And so sometimes you're going to have to do those things where you're like, okay, I cut this completely out. And sometimes you're going to have to work with what you got and say, okay, this actually can be used for good. This can be used because the Lord wants me to, to use it this way, even though I'm not confident in my own, my own understanding. I think what's similar about those two things moving forward is that both of those examples are people recognizing that they, their understanding isn't as great as God's understanding. So they're depending on him. And here later in the chapter, we see the opposite of that is that in 33 and 34, I'm going to read this and then ask your thoughts on their relation to verse 24. So that's 33 says, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down and the haughtiness of men shall be made low and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And 34, and the idols he shall utterly abolish. Now, relating that back to 24, it says, their land is also full of idols. They worship the work of their own hands that which, uh, that which their own fingers have made. And so I just like to see, um, what do you guys think of? How, how those two relate. What do you think of God destroying, totally, utterly abolishing those idols that we've made? I think it's interesting for me to think about their, what would occupy their time afterwards, similar to what we mentioned about when, you know, Christ is talking about removing a spirit, how if you don't fill the time, he'll go out, wander in the wilderness and come back with friends. And he even says to a neatly prepared and swept home, looking at when the when the lord does something in our lives there's still there's always an action required we're not able to ever just sit and rest and i'm sure that's part of a grander scheme of the gospel but utterly abolishing all the idols that plague to the land that's what they're full of suddenly they have this empty blank canvas to rebuild you know what their land stood for so it could transfer i think before we started recording we kind of talked about what idols could mean in each one of our lives. And I'm sure everyone listening has heard a sermon or a talk that, you know, mentioned what an idol could be because we're not all worshiping brass and gold and silver figures or fine wood. You know, we're, <laughs> we're looking at the things that are occupying our time, taking the place of Christ in our lives. And when the Lord abolishes all of that, what does it look like? I know some guys at, uh, that I've known who, they don't watch movies, they don't watch TV, they don't play video games, they don't really listen to music that isn't edifying. And 
I'm not at that point personally where I've come to that same decision, but I, I respect what they've done where they've taken something that they recognized as being an idol and they replaced it. And now they spend more time with their family or they're more diligent in their studies or they listen to sermons instead of music or whatever, but they've replaced the thing of the world that the Lord has abolished in their lives with something holy again. I think you're also going to see, because this is, I think, from what I get at this, he's speaking at the last days when the Lord is boom, boom, boom. You know, he's moving with power. And not that he's not moving with power now, but you know what I'm saying? He's at the last days when people know he's God. And um, the thing that sticks out to me is he's going to take away idols. And we're like, that wasn't an idol. Like, you know, why'd you have to take that away? And then, you know, that might come around and be like, okay, maybe due to my reaction, that was an idol. But we're going to have things that, you know, we're doing now. Maybe even traditions that we do in the church that we're just like, Oh, this is, this is good when it really is sitting up there like a golden calf. And, and he's like, no, I got to start. I got to start you with a clean slate because you're too, you're too silly, silly of a goose to, to get what I'm meaning unless I speak it 100% plainly to you. Yeah. And, and this also just goes into another discussion about pride and the pride of people. And it, it's an act of pride to, make something that is not the Lord your main focus, your main desire, because it's saying that your own desires and worldly things are more important than God. And that's obviously not the case. And and so when you find yourself busy in all these works that really don't have any factor of helping you in your walk with Christ, or it doesn't really edify you, then it's being prideful and worshiping yourself. Did you have, did you have a point before we started recording about how here in the, it talks about idols made with their own hands and then they worship, or is that you, Andrew, that someone mentioned like you're making idols and you're like, yeah. I'd heard a sermon where they were just bringing to the point where it says, you know, idols that they built with their own hands. And it just struck me as really odd thinking, okay, I created that, but somehow now it has this mystic cosmic force that is to be reckoned with. And it's like if we made a crucifix and then we just looked at it and we're like, oh my, what? this thing has this crazy, crazy cosmic power. You know, we made that. We saw what it wasn't and created it into what it is. And we know we saw its beginning. We will see its end potentially. And it just, to me, is kind of crazy thinking about how they assigned the power of a deity to something that they made in a forge or they carved. Um, but also understanding that they're more looking at it like this, there's this thing out there and I'm creating the image of it here. And so that's somehow going to assign a power, I'm sure is what they are thinking. But from our modern, more enlightened look, <laughs> it just seems wild that they would even consider that. And you see, sorry. Go ahead. And you see a difference between that and and what we've been talking about is that there's a, a transition between admiring the things that your hands are doing to admiring the things that God's hands are doing. And and when you really compare the two, there is no comparison. I mean, like when it's summed up all in when Jesus says there is none God, none good but God. <laughs> there is, yeah, uh, is that. In comparison to him and what he's done for just just you, there is nothing better than that. I mean, nothing you can do in 88 years on the earth, not even 89, because that's a blessing, would be a, a grain of salt compared to his Taj Mahal of blessing, you know? And it's just such a transition when you start to compare the two, but it comes... After you realize that there is something more to your life that you are missing. And and so this is where that concept of pride really takes place. Because if you if you have that pride in your life, you really are blinded to that. You think, I'm okay by myself. I have everything I need. But God wants to bring us all to that point where where we have a realization that we we don't have everything we need. Sorry, I, I cut you off. No, no, I, I liked what you were saying and I just wanted to speak to to maybe this is related either, but, or this isn't related too much, but to your point when you're like, you made, you know, you made something and you're like, no, it has divine power. And, and we know that that happened because the scriptures say, but 
also to that same extent, I don't think the the devil has switched up his tactics too much in the last 4,000 years. Like, I think, you know, now he can be like, oh, well, I have not bowed down to any graven image so far in my life. <laughs> and he was, you know, that may have got a few people back in the day, but it's not going to get me now. And he's like, actually, you know, <laughs> I used this tactic and, you know, this love of money that the scriptures talk about so much that you're doing right now in your life. And we somehow were like, let's just skip over that second commandment because I don't have a problem with it. You know, I haven't worshipped any fine wood or maple mahogany mix of statue of myself or anything like that. But really, it's just the scriptures when they say, you know, idols can mean things that come before God to your to your point and your point and your point. All three of your points. And your point. Yeah. And my point. Yeah. And I think, like you said, with this love of money and like that's that's definitely a very modern thing that we as a society are dealing with of this materialism and how much we place value in our possessions our money and status and it's hard to kind of be in the world and not of it when a lot of seemingly our life has been evolved with technology and phones and everything and work and all of these things that keep us busy. But when even something as good as a good job, that can become an idol because if you're 24 seven thinking about that job, then you're bowing to that altar and you're not focusing on Christ. It's such a simple thing in theory and such a hard to grasp, like hard to realize like, Oh, I am like, that's all I'm thinking about right now. And in actual practice, this is kind of a weird point, but um, you know, when they say in the scriptures several times that God is a jealous God, you don't really think of it the same way you would. If I said the phrase jealous girlfriend, Uh, which is a weird thing to say, you know, uh, but like, think of what your response would be to a, a jealous girlfriend, you know, like someone who, if you're not thinking about me, what? Like kind of like that kind of mentality is that God wants you to be all in for him. And, and it's, it's not because he's just like, he's all selfish and he's like, no, I don't want you to have any fun. It's, it's because he knows that's best for you and, and it's out of a place in love. And so while, that jealous girlfriend might not have your, your best interests in mind. God does. And, and so that's really unique. Uh, moving on. We talked about, we grazed over the, a word uh, in earlier in the chapter and that word is Zion. Now, when we say that word, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Josh. New Jerusalem. Rest. Okay. Oh, yours is way more comfortable. Mine was just going to be like a golden city with angels. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, yeah, I would have, the first thing I thought of was safe. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, For all those who may not know, what now not using just one word, how would you best describe Zion? I I would say it's heaven on earth. That's basically what it is, which is why it's so comforting to me to have that assurance in the restored gospel that you've got, you've got an end goal. That's not just, Hey, when I die, I'll be all right. But, uh, Oh, there's something that can happen now, like heaven here on earth. Those same characteristics that are going to be in heaven are going to be here in Zion with us. That's that's what comes to mind for me. In my visualization, it's very similar um, in the sense that I picture everybody I know, everybody I care about, which if you don't know, if we've had like even half a conversation, I've probably thought of you very fondly since. Um, I'm a lot like a golden retriever puppy where I'm just like, we're best friends now. You don't know it, but we're best friends. Um, so I, I picture that and I'm like, all of us just dwelling together in the spirit in unification, like all the time. And we're just, sorry for the modern term, but we're just vibing for eternity. And take that joy and love that like we felt at reunions and camps and services and that unity through the spirit and then apply it to like your favorite people in the scriptures. Apply it to Moroni, the brother of Jared. Haggith. Yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> we that are. was the next name that was coming out of his mouth. We yeah, are obviously. The followers of Haggith. Yeah, <laughs> stole that one from me. But just the the heroes that you've looked up to in the scriptures, and then think about they're going to be there too, and you can talk to them. And then 
you know, where you've got the, the people who haven't had a chance to be tested yet. And that'll be a little later, but you'll get to talk to them and you'll get to just, oh, well, if you haven't completely died off yet, but there's going to be a chance to just have this massive, just almost like party in the spirit, but not in the sense that we understand just this joy and this love. And when I think of Zion, that's all I can think of is just how loved we'll feel, how happy we'll be together. The spirit will be there in strength because Christ will be there. And then being able to take that. And I firmly believe in that this might, I don't know, someone will probably tell me I'm wrong, but we're going to be, I'm pretty confident we're going to be sending missionaries from Zion to other parts. Uh, and I'm excited about the act of that as well. So, yeah. Same no, I just, I just uh, thought back in 19, it says the law will go forth out of Zion. It's like, right. it's going to take the law, but you know, the missionaries that are going to be like, oh, I'm so filled with this, this knowledge of a place better than what's out here. You know, what's not Zion, then you're going to be able to draw people in because you're going to be like so excited about it. Yeah. And the work doesn't end just because you've hit where we're, we're aiming to be at. I think to what you just mentioned, it's like, you know, after someone, after the summer series, the, this year, there was two sermons preached. Um, one was at Summer Suits and one was at a reunion. And both of the guys um, who preached are pretty well-respected guys, pretty, um, you know, in each of these services was, I, don't, I won't say famous, but is well-respected in the, in the church. And, you know, after that, after that sermon, everyone wants to go talk to him because they're not going to get a t- chance to talk to him for a while because they're out of town guests. And, you know, you have that rush of like, oh, I, got, I don't know if, I know Josh is like this because you're a people person and I think you two are as well, but it's like, Oh, I got to talk to like, I got to make sure I say hi to this person, like this guy who spoke and, and talking about living with Jesus in Zion, it'll be like that, but you won't have the worry of not getting to, cause he's going to be there the next day. And There's he, not 15 minutes. Right. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> and you, you know, it's, it's going to be, so I find that so comforting that it'll be like, you know, in our minds, a great man who preached a great sermon It'll be an even better man who preaches an even better sermon in Jesus, and you're going to be able to hang out with him. Can you imagine the sermons that are going to be in Zion? Like, we're already going to be in such a high state, and then to be able to receive that celestial ministry. Oh, man. So, <laughs> That's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. You guys both kind of alluded to concepts that I'd like to explore further, and that is the bond that is had between people who not only believe the same thing, but um, are living the same gospel. And I think that's really important. And we've, we've talked about this before is that um, maybe not on the podcast. I don't, I'm not sure, but Sam, Jason, uh, particularly you guys and, and then Josh with your, your closer friends. Why are you close with your close friends? Shared values and shared interests and stuff like that. Yeah. And in school, it was always like shared experiences. Like you're yeah. with them every day and you go through the same thing and you can relate to the same things. Mm-hmm. I think now it hinges a lot on shared values or a um, a kinship with like an instant kinship when you're like, oh, I have this commonality too. Let's talk about it. I know a lot of people, they have a strong relationship due to shared trauma. And I think the inverse is true for a lot of the people in the church. Like I have friends that we're just close and we've always been close. And there was really, it seems like almost no real reason for us to be close other than the fact that the Lord was moving us to be close because we are going to have a ministry together and we were going to serve together and we are going to have this, that, or the other, and we were going to work together. So for me, it's, I, I exclusively give the credit to the Lord on who's, who's around me because there's been a lot of people I, I was close to and am close to still, but I don't speak to as often. And it's the people that I speak to on a very frequent basis have the exact same goals that I have, much to what everyone else has said, that we're, we're moving together to further the kingdom of God and to further the message and to tell other people that. And the people that I'm closest with, they do that too. That's what they want to do. Uh, Sam put it best one time when I talked to him, uh, he said, my occupation is is whatever I'm doing to earn a living, but my vocation is preaching the kingdom of God. I said that? Mm-hmm. I totally stole that from Ed Turner then. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> I heard it from Sam. It's, it's a good sign. No, <laughs> Don't at me. <laughs> no, and and that's really great. You know, when I used to think of, I, I, I asked that after I asked what you thought of Zion when you first 
thought of that because I don't think they're they're very separate. You know, I I, I really don't. And for a long time, I I would think of the definition of Zion as I just a kind of a city, and I wouldn't think of that personal relationship you'd have with a person who's living next door. You know, um, but I think that's really what Zion is built upon the the relationships you have with the people who are there. And, and I really liked that word that Josh said, you have common goals. And when you're in the kingdom of God, you better have the, the common goal with God. Otherwise you're going to be really uncomfortable. We have a common saying, I know we've talked about the classes we learned. Um, Sam and I have, we have a saying and Sam really likes to say it is that um, if you are in the country of the United States and you follow the laws, then you are entitled to the citizen rights of that country. But if you don't follow that law or laws, then you are an outlaw and you aren't comfortable there. You aren't allowed the privileges of that, of that country. And, and the same thing goes with the the kingdom of God and Zion. Um, not trying to make those sound like they're the same thing, but, um, Josh is not really fast joking, uh, but we need to follow those same, the rules and regulations, you know, like we talked about last episode, those terms and conditions come before the blessings. And, and so I really appreciate that when looking at the concept of Zion is that, you know, we have to, we have to look forward to loving our neighbor, our physical neighbor. I mean, Zion is the place where we can live out the commandments in the most literal form that we've ever imagined. You know, we have to think of different implications or different examples of commandments and say, loving your neighbor isn't, uh, you know, like saying, I love you to your neighbor every time they walk out the front door. Well, maybe in Zion, it might be, you know, and I've never thought that before, but it's, it's a place where the commandments can be lived out in the most literal way possible without, without any shame, without any guilt. And it's what's expected almost. And, And that's really cool. Yeah, guys, have any thoughts about that? I'm just naturally predisposed to that because I really love people. Uh, that's just that's just my jam. Like I just love I love talking to people, and it makes me really <laughs> really sad looking back at when I was younger because I wasn't always nice to people, and now it that's kind of something I, I I deeply regret. But moving forward, it's just my favorite thing. I love talking to people, and I love sharing with them, learning who they are. And the thought of being able to do that for a millennia with, I mean, just the sheer volume of that, I'm going to be able to probably talk to everybody and have not just in passing, not just a sharp, Hey, how you doing? Or a Midwestern. Oh, sorry. Just going to squeeze past you. You know, we're going to have a real conversation about what did you do in your life? How did you get here? Because we're all going to be there because we did something. And that means there's going to be a thousand years worth of testimonies shared. I was just going to say the everybody. testimonies that have come, like the testimonies that come forth out of China and out of like persecuted oh. countries are going to be amazing. Just to be like, you're going to be like, whoa, that was not my experience, but you know, I'm happy I'm here. <laughs> I'm happy you're here. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty cool. It's just a really exciting time to look forward to. And I think that's why we should just keep looking at it over and over because if you're traveling without a goal, you're going to get lost. <laughs> and, and so just to keep that at the forefront of our minds, you know, we have to, we, we talked about the gas in the car, but we got to know where that car is going. And it doesn't mean we have to take control of the steering wheel and not to beat this analogy to a pulp, but take control over the car and be like a backseat driver to God. But, you know, we have to, we have to keep that in mind because, Ultimately, he's going to let us have our agency, you know, and so just looking forward to Zion and and seeing it's it's worth to us here and today. It's just so exciting. And and that's really why I love this chapter, because it, it just it, time and time again, it seemed like it, it, it went over different points, but it was pointing to the same thing. And um, like I said earlier, you know, everything is typifying of Christ. Everything is pointing to him. And if we look at what Christ was pointing to, he's pointing to the kingdom. And, and what does that look like? It looks like physically Zion. So, Could, And I, I know we have a question that we're going to 
pose it, Josh, because it circles around one of his experiences. But I want to, you said it was something to look forward to, but it's also, and I know you know this, so not to, I'm not saying this like I know better, but something to work for as well, not just look for. And, right. And I guess I have a question before we pose the next question, <laughs> the, the pre question <laughs> is I've heard people, you know, who are 40 years old say, oh, Zion, that was past my time. It's up to you guys. And you're like, whoa, retirement's not till 65 or something like that. And even that. So what, what do you think is, uh, to Jason and Josh and what do you guys think is that, what can you say when someone's like, ah, Zion, it's past my time. You know, it's up to you. I think as long as you're alive, you're a part of the work unless you literally can't do anything because your mind's gone or something. Like, I think there's always a work to be done and you can't just give up on your own efforts just because you've been unsuccessful up to this point. It's almost like when you constantly sin, like you're always forgiven and there's that grace that you have. In that sort of same vein, it's you should never grow tired in a good work and always strive for that end goal that we have, which is, you know, the physical manifestation of heaven and the kingdom. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, you know, sometimes you go through things and you get discouraged, but because at least all of our parents went through a split that we weren't alive for in 1984. And I, I, and I can't ever pretend to imagine how discouraging it was that like, I can say, Hey, just get it together, you know, but I can't pretend to know how discouraging it was that, but like, Josh, what would you say to, how do you, how do you change that attitude? How do you reinforce that? It's still, you still have a work to do. How do you inspire people? That's a, a really difficult conversation because you're looking at changing decades worth of behaviors. And I, I've known some people who are older and they get set in their ways because they've always done it one way. And when you start coming to them and saying, hey, it's time to change, it's time to start doing this differently. There's just this intense resistance because that's just what they've always known. It's always worked. It's always just how things have done been done. And at this point, that's kind of how we've operated as a collective body. You know, it's, it's our job to preserve. It was our job to preserve at all costs, keep the gospel pure. Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. That was exactly what it was. That's what led to the split. And right or wrong, that's what everybody did because it was their mandate. It was their mission. So we would have to somehow convince the people who have given up that their mission has changed. And it's, you can still preserve something. So I guess it hasn't even really changed. But instead of being reactionary and we're going to keep it in this corner, you know, because anytime anyone does that in the scriptures, the parable of the talents, the people who just kept their talent, you know, buried in the ground to protect it, there wasn't a lot of nice things said about them later. So if you can somehow convince them to take that talent and protect it by multiplying it, protect it by growing it, by nourishing it, by strengthening it, I think that is the mindset we have to switch to is being proactive in our approach to the gospel. Because how old was Adam, you know, when he gave up? When he stopped preaching, he's dead. He was done. And I'm sure he's still up there, you know, going at it. And there's all these examples of these guys and, and women in the scriptures where they were, they were dying. You know, the saints being led to the, the Colosseum in Rome, they were praising God when they were getting ripped to shreds by the lions. They never gave up. And we have to somehow be able to talk to people. And the problem is generationally, there's a bit of a difference in communication. And so you have to learn that. It can't just be like, Oh, old people are ruining everything, you know, because sometimes whenever all the young people get together, that is the thing. Is, well, I just can't wait for those old people to die off so we can have Zion. That, there's going to be old people in Zion because we're going to be the old people by then, <laughs> you know. So we have to learn how each person communicates, what they think, what they feel. And then you have to be fervent in prayer and learn how to talk to them in a way they can hear. Because no one is going to be like... I don't care that we're losing the youth or I don't care that the church is in a bad state. They do. They care a lot. It it hurts them because like you said, they saw the church when it was organized. They saw the church when we had stakes and when we had youth activities that were just like 200 person volleyball games. They saw that. They missed that. They want that again, but they've been hurt. And so we have to coax them out of that protective shell almost and convince them that there's still something worth fighting for. And that if we all come together and act right, I mean, Zion could be next year. 
under the right circumstances. So I, I think that's that's what we'd have to do. Going off that uh, that parable of the talents, you know, it's it's a good representation of how we are today, but it's a little bit different, you know, because money doesn't dissipate as you as you keep it in your hand. I mean, I guess value wise, like the market goes up and so you're technically losing worth. But in relation to our church, these are people, you know, this is our membership. And if you withhold, you know, when we when we share, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. And and when we share that this body of Christ is giving you something and like we have a class on the body of Christ and, and we have a picture of Christ and it, it has all the labeled parts in it. It's not really important, but that picture is holding the gospel and it has an outstretched hand giving this supposedly to the world. If we take that hand back and keep the gospel close to our hearts, like Josh was saying, if we buried it in the ground, the people are going to die. I mean, our, our people are just going to die and our church is going to dry up in a sense. Um, and, and we have to protect it like by multiplying, as you said. We have a, a few minutes here left, probably for one more topic discussion. We, um, but I know what we talked a little bit about before we started recording was we were going to ask Josh his perspective on Zion versus something else we've talked a little bit about in previous episodes, which was the kingdom of God. So, Josh... Are they the same thing? And if so, or if not so, if not so, how do you different? Compare, yeah. contrast. Pros, cons. Oh, yes, and write more sentences. <laughs> yes. So I used to think they were the same. And I thought that because I hadn't given it much thought. And I just uh, assumed, well, they have similar properties, so they must be the same thing. And I spent, like I mentioned in the last podcast, about uh, 10 months in Mexico. And around, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Anyway, I came back for two weeks. And someone called me up and said, Hey, God told me I need to tell you something. When can you meet and have a class? And so they met up with me, had a class in my living room, drove all the way. They drove like three hours to come give me this class. And it was how those two things are drastically different and that they're not the same thing. And then they packed up and went home. And it was like, that was just, it was that important that they drove six hours round trip to come tell me how, what I was doing, you know, was incorrect. And I needed to learn about this to teach it to others. So they are different. That being said, they share very similar properties and that's why it's so easy to confuse them. The kingdom of God is intangible. You can't touch it. The Pharisees were always like, oh, Christ, where's the kingdom of God? When's it coming? And they're trying to trick him and, and, and get him to say something that they could use against him. And he would say, it hasn't, you know, it's here. It's neither here nor there, but you can enter it now. It has already come unto you. And then he would wait for them to come to him at night. And Nicodemus said, Master, tell me about this. How do I get in? <laughs> and then he would hit him with the pretty easy, <laughs> be born again. And it always cracks me up. That is like one of my all-time favorite passages in terms of the personality of Christ. Because you see him, Nicodemus is like, man, do I have to like crawl back in my mom's womb? Or like, how's this going to work? Born again. What's that mean? And Jesus says something to this kind of, you're a leader of Israel and that you can't grasp this. <laughs> he says it a lot more snarky. And that's like, maybe because I enjoy sarcasm, but that's <laughs> one of my absolute favorite things to hear or read from Christ. But he tells him, you know, baptism, baptism is the way into the kingdom of God through the water and the fire and the process. So it's not just, you know, baptism and done, but that's a different discussion. But we can enter that right now, right here, and we can live in it all mutually in all parts of the world. We can live in it together, dwelling in the exact same kingdom. On a totally different side note, one of my favorite things about this is um, I, nations. Nations do not have borders. A nationality is a group of people who share mutual values and ideas. Countries, states, municipalities, those have borders. Nations do not. You can have multiple nations within a country, and we can have this nation across the globe that is with the kingdom of God, and we share that together, and we are all citizens of the same kingdom, and I absolutely love that. Zion, we know, will be reestablished. A physical city will be built in a location we know we are given its initial dimensions and we know it will come under these specific circumstances. So it will come, whereas the kingdom of God has come. We understand it. We can take part of it right now, whereas Zion requires a whole boatload of work <laughs> for us to achieve together. Well, I would say the, the kingdom, because you can be baptized, but that's just to see the kingdom of God. Like yeah. there's still work to be done too. But yes, to, yes, definitely that 
there's a boatload of work to be done before. And I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Well, no, no, you were totally fine. Sorry. I stopped your mojo. <laughs> I'm very impressed by that answer. And hopefully we'll get sound man, Jason to clip that up. So when people ask me what the kingdom is, I don't even have to say anything. Now I'll just hand them that audio file of Josh <laughs> explaining it and be like, here, here's someone very intelligent who, I, I didn't know that about it. nations. That's so cool, though, that you can have nations and countries different. I didn't know that. Now, that might be a different term, but the concept is the same. Is the same. <laughs> yeah. I really like that as well. Well, and, and the thing with the kingdom of God is what is a kingdom being? It, it's something that is being that has a ruler and being a part of this kingdom of God and being a part of it through baptism is making a covenant with God saying that you are my king. And that's the kingdom right there. No borders needed. Yeah. yeah. When you're in sometimes in the mission, <laughs> when you're sometimes in you know, the mission field, and I don't know if Josh, you've gone through this and Andrew and I have, but you're teaching little kids and you're teaching them about the kingdom of God. And it's like, the answers are right there. You're like, all right, who's the king in the kingdom of God? And they're so scared to get it wrong. they like, <laughs> just don't want They're like, you know, I don't know. And it's like, kingdom of, and you just got to like, wait, and they won't answer. And you're like, God, and then, then they finally get it. <laughs> but no, that's, it's simply put, it's just obeying God's commandments and him being your king and you doing what he asks you to do. The implications of that are some of my absolute favorite things though. Like what it means when you're in the kingdom of God, similar to what Andrew was mentioning earlier, when you're in a country, when he was talking about the laws being an in-law versus an outlaw, and each kingdom has its its rules, but it also has its benefits. And when you look at being a United States citizen, you are protected through the constitution. You have all these rights. You have, you know, the bill of rights applies to you directly. Um, it might be harder to enforce if you're not a U.S. citizen, although arguably probably everybody should have those same rights. But you don't have the same, like you can't vote, you can't run for office, et cetera. And there's probably a lot more benefits. Someone who's more civically minded could probably answer. But the benefits of the kingdom of God are immeasurable. And it, they range from, you know, salvation to dwelling with the spirit on a daily basis. And that's one of those things that's really hard for me to grasp when you think about on a day-to-day -day basis the immensity of what we've been given, but also the intricate details on a day-to-day -day basis and what it means to listen to the Spirit while He's communicating to you and what He's saying. That's one of the things that I've had to struggle with the hardest is figuring out when the Spirit's telling me to do something. Because ever since I was a little kid, it's really, I don't know, you might think I'm like schizo or something after this, but when I was a kid, I'd be outside playing and I would hear like my name and no one was out there or I'd hear like something said to me and no one would be around. And I'm like, oh, that's really weird. And then I just care about my business, hoping it wasn't a ghost or like my <laughs> dead grandma or something. You know? I'm just like, whoa, 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 whoa. But as an adult, now that I hear those, the battle isn't like, okay, do I need medication? It's, was that me or him? And learning to figure out when it's him is the trickiest part for me because when I listen to him, things go really well. Like really minor things from like, Hey, make sure to like pick up a carton of eggs on the way home. And then boom, we're at eggs, which we have chickens. So we're like very rarely out of eggs, but just really minor things that shouldn't matter in the grand scheme of salvation. But because we've entered into the kingdom of God, the things that matter to us matter to him. And he's willing to help us with those really just, I mean, dumb things that don't really matter, like in the scheme of salvation, but they're important enough for us that God's like, all right. I'm going to help you with this because I know if I don't, you're going to be stuck on it for 30 minutes to an hour and we're not going to be able to have the conversation we need to have. So here's your pacifier, be quiet you know, kind of thing. But all the way down to, you know, I've had so many events in my life where I've realistically should have died, been arrested, etc., And I wasn't. And I, you could say they're coincidences and I don't, I don't believe that for a second. I'm not going to drain this sharing testimonies because I know we said we're, we're kind of on the downward swing of the podcast but one thing that happened to me is I was driving my car. And at the time, I wasn't great about wearing my seatbelt. That was kind of my thing. I was like, oh, I'm manly. I don't need my seatbelt. So I'm driving my super manly Honda Accord, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and reinforcing that, that super masculine idea I had of myself. And I'm, I'm driving to work. And I'm about a mile from my boss's house. And we're going to carpool to the job site. And I'm really tired. 
and I come around this curve and my right tire just slips off the side. Normally on a well-built infrastructure, wouldn't be a problem. However, we're talking Independence, Missouri by the power plant <laughs> and things aren't intensely well built on that side of town. And so there's, you know, a six foot drop off. It's gradual, but it's enough that my car is really not wanting to get back on the road. And I'm trying to yank it. And I'm turning that wheel and I'm not going anywhere. And then I look up, bam, huge telephone pole, just smash into it going probably 35, 40 miles an hour, not wearing my seatbelt. The amount of blessings that fell into this are huge. I hit the passenger side. The steering wheel didn't come into me because I hit the passenger side. I did not fly through the windshield, <laughs> but instead I shifted the steering column a, a pretty big distance and messed up my ribs and hip. And I, I'm pretty confident a lot of my organs were slightly damaged. Uh, but I get out of the car and I'm able to breathe. I'm able to talk. I'm able to walk. I hurt everywhere. My insides feel tingly and I can't figure out what's going on, but I know there's a lot of things going wrong right now. <laughs> Jasmine wasn't working. She was able to come transfer everything out of my car into her car. My boss was only a mile away. He comes and blocks traffic so I don't get hit while I'm doing this. The police arrive. I don't get a ticket because they said that road's actually pretty bad. Could have happened to anybody. And it did. If you actually look, the asphalt on that particular, I think it's Pal Road, is shaved from cars going off the road. <laughs> and instead of putting a guardrail up, what they did is they put a barrier in front of the, the pole. <laughs> it was the resolution to that. But I didn't get a ticket. Huge blessing. I happened to own a firearm. It was in my glove box, which is on the passenger side, which was demolished. Glove box opened right up. It came right out. Even my CDs popped out. Like just the amount of minute testimonies that had nothing to do with me surviving the crash. And the Lord just said, you know, I know you don't listen to CDs anymore because who does, but you can take them. It's fine. I got them out. I get home and I'm in a lot of pain. I'm not feeling well at all. Um, I'm barely like I'm having trouble breathing. I'm having trouble focusing. My insides just feel really, really funny. And we call for the elders and I didn't have health insurance. So the hospital was just out of the question. I was like, well, uh, as the Lord wills it <laughs> is how we will proceed with this event. And they come and they lay their hands on my head and they administered to me and it was good. You know, I felt great. What I was doing was I was laser focusing the areas where it hurt and the prayer. I was thinking about them and I was like imagining a red heat map over the areas I really wanted the Lord to focus his blessing on. He didn't um, actually do that, but he healed <laughs> everything else. But what was crazy was the elders finished and they said a great prayer. It was beautiful. And then he said, hold on one second, be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> and I stood up healed. I had two pain points. One was in my ribs, one was in my hip, because I still needed to learn a lesson. <laughs> All of our actions still have consequences, even in the kingdom of God, even amidst great blessings. When we step out and do something dumb, I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. I was tired. I wasn't focused while I was driving. I was driving a Honda. I'm just kidding. That's not a, that's okay. You can drive Hondas. <laughs> but the Lord still brought me out. He healed me and I had to deal with some pain. And I still, to this day, feel pain in those areas as a constant reminder wear your seatbelt. Be smart. Don't drive tired. Don't drive distracted. Be ready to go at any moment. And it's a reinforcement that when our life, when things really matter, the Lord's there because I am in his kingdom. I'm a citizen. I'm calling on my rights as a citizen. Just like when something happens in America, I can call the police. I can call the fire department. I can call the ambulance. And although the ambulance might charge me, the fire department and police department, they'll show up free of charge. <laughs> I can go to public school. I can do all these things because I'm a member of this community and we're a member of this nation. And it comes with physical and spiritual benefits. And to me, that's the most exciting thing that we're not here alone. Even when we feel alone, we're right there. We're a prayer away. The Lord can bring someone to help us, to talk to us, to, to be there. This might, I've never verified this because I haven't found anyone who can. And so this might turn out to be like one of those chicken noodle for the soup or chicken noodle soup for the soul kind of kind of things that happen, you know. But there was this testimony I heard of these two missionaries and they're getting ready to go on a trip and they're sitting in the hotel room and the spirit says, go ahead and get in your closet. And they walk out of the closet and boom, they're in the middle of an African village and they start ministering and they do all kinds of amazing works. And the Lord just real or fake. I don't know, but it speaks to a point for me that the Lord can do whatever he wants us to do. And as long as we're willing, available, and abiding in the laws that his kingdom needs for to function, 
it's completely out of our understanding from the smallest thing, like me being able to get my CDs out of my CD player to me being completely healed to, if that's real, those guys teleporting to Africa to bring the gospel to a village over there or to our very real testimonies of, I know everyone in this room has had a testimony of providing ministry and the Lord being there to back them up, the spirit being there to co-serve, to be that companion. So that's um, my, I suppose, final rant on the (laughs) subject, but that's the difference for me is the kingdom of God is right now. And I can have Zion if we abide in the laws of the kingdom of God collectively. Really enjoy that answer. Well, we only got through chapter eight, really, but it's been a really good chapter eight, I feel like. So we want to <laughs> we thank Josh for coming on and, and sharing with us. And Two sure, episodes. Yeah, two thank episodes, you guys yeah. for having me. I'm sure it won't be the last. Our most practiced guest. Yeah. <laughs> and our only. <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead and just tack on the compliments with our yeah. only. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, thank you guys for listening. Again, um, if you have questions or comments, mostly comments or critiques or or even you on a maybe you're like, I don't trust you other three guys. I want this directly at Josh. You can you can message us a question for Josh too, and we'll make sure it gets to him and we'll read his answer verbatim or bring him back on and have him answer it directly. So um again we want to thank thank you, Josh, for uh sharing with us your love for the Lord and and your testimony and and what you you learned and, and just in life experiences and and God bless to all our all our listeners. Um, we'll catch you next time.